Oh, I just love the Jeff effect. It makes me feel so smart. Welcome to the Jeff effect. Again, you know, everybody right now is talking about the big reset. You know, supposedly, the forces that be want the pandemic to break down a lot of the old ways of the world, the way we do things now, and thus open up new opportunity to foist upon humanity a new vision, kind of a changing of everything. You know, the only problem with all of that is that things just don't break like you want them to. You know, if you're trying to order up a soup du jour of new world order, the chef in the kitchen might have already prepared a different menu for the day. You know, at great risk of mixing the crap out of my metaphors, think of it this way. Nothing breaks the way you want it to. You can't drop a ceramic pot and have the pieces spontaneously regenerate into a coffee cup. Doesn't work that way. So, the Great Reset. Is it really a Great Reset? Well, what, what do we think is going to happen? You know, throughout history, we have a ton of points in time that, you know, a ton of points in time where historians call resets or transformational years, yada, 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 but they really weren't. Not really. Nigel, now, what, what do you think was the most important transformational year in world history? Uh, that would be 2020, boss. Really? This year, this year is the most important year in history. Right. Uh, Liverpool won the English Premier League title, I believe. Of course. Of course, I remember. For the first time, they'd done it in my lifetime. Okay, yeah, that was back in June, and you've been celebrating ever since. <laughs> and you're probably still hungover. Yes, boss. Yes, I am. Well then, as important an occasion as that was for the folks in Merseyshire, I'm talking about things that might be a bit more uh, sweeping in scope. You know, for example, okay, it's a big example from history. Some historians say that the Roman Empire fell in 395 AD. Others mark the year as 410 AD when barbarian tribes broke through the defenses and sacked Rome. I'm Spartacus! I'm Spartacus! Some say it was the year 476 when Flavius Odoacer, I'm pronouncing that name terribly wrong, it's O-D-O-A-C-E-R, when he staged a revolt and deposed the last emperor of Rome. You know, and that's the date that I used in my book that I wrote a few years ago. But, you know, all of those dates, they're all over the place. All of those years were important historically. A lot of things happened and a lot of things changed afterwards, but Rome had been declining and overextending and fighting amongst themselves for literally hundreds of years. The truth is that big societal changes are not arrived at during a single battle or during a single year. That's just not how we, re that's just how we remember it. You know, the, the event makes us think that the change is associated with it. But in all cases, things that were already moving in a direction, they, they were already, there was already some inertia, some, I'm going to call it something like a societal and social inertia. Then something happened to tip the scales, it makes it rush along faster, 
turns a slow drift of softened soil into a landslide. You know? Well, boss, what about the dinosaurs? Okay. You know, Nigel's right. The day the asteroid clipped the edge of the Yucatan Peninsula, um, let's just say that every hundred million years or so, there's an exception that proves the rule. But I stand by my point. Even in culture, I, um, okay, somebody we all know of, Elvis Presley. Elvis didn't change rock and roll. Say what again? I dare you. He didn't. The music had already been going in the direction for years. Many of the songs Elvis is famous for were written and even recorded by other people first. Okay, Elvis had talent and he had style, but he picked up what was already there. Yeah, curled his upper lip and swung his hips into music history. I'm an Elvis fan. I got a collection of his music. You know, he's a real deal. But he didn't change music. He picked up the cultural direction that was already moving. And that brings us to the topic of the day. We are not witnessing the fall of Rome, per se, but we might be seeing the slide of a bunch of Rome-like objects. And I've, I've actually been talking about this with a bunch of uh, folks in private conversations for months. A few days ago, one of them asked why I hadn't already done a podcast on the idea yet, and I'm fixing that situation right now. Let me tell you the idea behind it, the big social drift. It turns out that I am the perfect pre-pandemic case study for what I'm getting to. Now, now most of you know, if you don't, I'm telling you now, most of you know that we moved, from, moved to Puerto Rico almost exactly a year ago in December of 2019. But let's review quickly the why we did it. After working in tech in Arizona for years, I took a job at a hosting company in Omaha. After three years, the company was acquired like so many hosting companies have been. And that's when I started the consulting business, the art of the message.com, you know, my messaging, my messaging business. Been doing that for nearly six years now. Things blossomed, things are great. And a couple of years ago, we realized something. We realized we just didn't need to be in Omaha anymore. There's nothing wrong with Omaha. It's a great town. It's one of my favorite of the small big cities, if that makes sense. But I have customers all over the world, and they never really know where I am at any given time unless I'm doing an on-site project or an in-person event. It's the only time they know exactly where I'm at. In Omaha, we had a custom home, and it was beautiful. Uh, but the location of Omaha, though completely fine, the location was not delivering anything of value other than the local charm of the place. That and a lot of snow that I shoveled by hand. I have shoveled a lot of snow by hand. Not anymore. Anyway, so I said to my wife, Helen, I said, you know, we can live anywhere in the world. It doesn't matter. I even gave her a short list. I even offered her places like uh, my favorite cities in Europe, Edinburgh, uh, in Barcelona, and, uh, and uh, you know, um, Verona in Italy. And I said, but you know, there's no restriction. I, we can live anywhere in the world. Where do you want to live? Now, after her head stopped exploding... She asked if we could live in the Caribbean. 
The rest of the story is just a story of logistics, you know, making it happen, which was a bit harder than we thought it would be, but mission accomplished, we are here. Now, I'm the perfect use case here, but I am far from the first person to realize that I did not need to be in a city anymore. And not just that. You know, over the last decade or more, lots of big companies and small businesses have allowed their employees to work from home at least part of the time. You know that, right? You can see that. The, the rise of you know, uh, Zoom, which everybody uses as a verb these days, you know, they did not arrive this year. They've been a, they were just a, an also competitive uh, video conferencing and telephone service over the internet, and they were one of many. And they've all, they were all there to let people do meetings and do things remotely, right? The stage was set. All the pieces were in place. All right, then you have like the broader macroeconomic forces, things that have been shaping up for literally decades. You have places like New York. New York has been hemorrhaging businesses and jobs for a while. That's why. The tax rates are very high. And the business climate is difficult, to say the least. Remember a few years ago when Amazon wanted to locate a second core office? You know, they originally decided on New York. But, and they were going to bring something like, I think it was 25,000 jobs to the New York area. But then a bunch of folks decided they didn't like Amazon, including uh, Representative Cortez, AOC. And they all started giving Amazon a hard time, so Amazon changed their mind. And they relocated the planned office to Arlington, Virginia. The business climate is notoriously difficult in New York. But that's just one story. The economic facts are undeniable. Big cities like New York and Chicago and Seattle and San Francisco, you know, they're all unique, but they have some, several things in common. They have a high cost of living. They have high tax rates. Um, they have highly regulated business environments. Um, office, warehouse, manufacturing, and even data center space is way more expensive. They tend to have higher energy and utility costs. And because of all those costs, you need, if you're a businessman, if you're an entrepreneur, because of all those costs, you need to pay more in employee costs so that your employee can afford to all the higher price stuff to live there. You've got to pay higher salaries for the privilege of being in New York. And all that stuff does not add any additional quality of life to the employees. It just helps them cover the higher costs. And the same thing can be said about London, or Paris, lots of other big cities around the world. But, but, it used to be that you got some value by being located in large, well-defended port cities. Uh, you know, during the economic era of mercantilism, it was even critical. You couldn't survive if you weren't there as a businessman. But in the modern industrialized world, we have solved the problem distribution. We don't need big port cities to get good food and stuff anymore. It's, we can distribute it much more efficiently. We've, we distribute everything really, really well. And in the information economy, the speed of light is fast enough that there is no functional difference 
of being in the city or uh, being out here with me at the beach uh, with the cost of living that's really about half of what it was back in Omaha. So given that, where would you want, where would you want to live? Where would you want to live? And there's more. It also used to be that you had to be in a big cities, you know, to get other things like sports and entertainment and restaurant options. But that's just not true anymore either. You know, the second and third tier cities and towns all have that stuff. You can get, you know, great tikka swarma in Louisville. There's a real Monet exhibit in Charlotte. Um, you can catch Paul McCartney at the arena in Lincoln, Nebraska. Let live and let die. saw that show. He was amazing and he rocked the stage for more than three hours. I don't know how he did it at his age. Do you think Sir Paul McCartney sounds any better in Madison Square Garden than he does at the arena in Lincoln? And I don't. He doesn't. So aside from a few Broadway musicals, the last remaining differentiating value arguments for New York is it's uh, the romantic notion of New York. It's what people imagine New York to be. The value is the Frank Sinatra song in a bottle. Start spreading the news. I'm leaving today. I want to be a part of it. New York, New York, these vagabond shoes. It's not even the main port of entry for immigration anymore. In the late 1800s and early 1900s, that's, you know, the vast majority of immigrants to the U.S. came through Ellis Island in New York. That doesn't happen anymore. Most of our immigration comes on the West Coast. So all these forces... Just think about all that argument for a second there. I'm not saying New York's a bad place at all. I'm not saying Los Angeles or San Francisco or Seattle are bad places. Far from it. They're nice places. But you have all these forces that are already pressing down against the natural, organic economics of the whole thing. Economics, when left alone, is the most democratic thing in the universe. Free people making free will decisions that they think are in their best interests over time. In my case, Adam Smith's invisible hand of economic self-interest moved us out of the city and onto an island where the weather is fine and the rum drinks are served cold. Then the, the pandemic hit this year. The remote working thing that I've been living, breathing, and doing for, geez, uh, six years now, well, everybody's doing it. And it turns out that, you know, big crowded cities are just about the last place you want to be when something like this happens. On a personal level, individuals are more likely to get sick in big cities. And the resulting lockdowns mean small businesses. Well, as you might have heard in my last podcast, for small businesses, this is like a small business Armageddon out there. It's really, really bad. So, like I said... All the forces of de-urbanization were already there. You can see it in the census numbers over the last decade. The pandemic has just accelerated things, made it more mainstream, woken 
everybody up to the idea that life might actually be better if you don't ride the subway to work every day. Now, imagine you're a business leader. You're a business leader sitting on huge, expensive offices that are now pretty much empty. You know, entrepreneurs look at things like that and ask why. Why do we have a thousand employees here in this building every day? Why am I paying a bazillion dollars a month to keep the power and water and maintain this empty building? Now, let me be clear. I gotta be clear here. I've managed big teams and small teams. Some folks are just not cut out for working remote from home all the time. And some jobs are more efficient when teams are in the same room together. I've seen it. But in those cases, CEOs and CFOs are starting to realize that the office does not need to be on Michigan Avenue or on Wall Street or in Silicon Valley. You don't need to pay $75 per square foot in rent when there's an even better office for $25 a foot in Salt Lake City near the ski slopes or in Louisville or Jacksonville. And the same software developer, this, this is going to hurt some people in their brain because it's, it's a, so bear with me on this. It's the same thing. If you take a software developer, same software developer, all right, a software developers of equal skill can have an even better quality of life with a, say, with a cool post-industrial brick loft apartment in Memphis at a third less salary because the costs and personal taxes are just that much lower for everyone there. And he's maintained a same high or even better quality life. And by the way, the music scene in Memphis is amazing. It's the home of Al Green, the place that B.B. King got to start. And you can visit the home of the king, Elvis, in his Graceland mansion. We, we really don't know what all of the political, social, and economic trends that will be accelerated, exposed, and bent by this crazy year. It's the year I call the year of the mask. But I think that one of the most important of those is going to be a migration of individuals and businesses away from top-tier cities into second- and third-tier cities. There are just so many rational economic forces at work, I don't see it going any other way. The pandemic hasn't caused these it's just given it a jump start. It's accelerated what was already in process. So, the question you should be asking yourself is whether I'm on to something here. Maybe Jeff's just crazy. You wouldn't be the first person to make that assumption. Okay? Well, right now, we haven't had enough time to gather enough data to measure these things with scientific precision statistically but we are seeing signs of it. All right, so when people move between states inside a single country, it's called net domestic migration. And it's something that you don't see as much in, uh, in, in, in smaller land area countries like France or uh, you know, even you know, Japan for that matter. Um, but in larger land area countries, you know, it, it, it's something you, you have to measure because it tells you where your people, where your citizens are going, and it's called net domestic migration. Now, not only, not only has it been widely reported that the population growth in California is at the lowest in more than 100 years, but nearly 1.1 million more people moved out of California than moved into California last year. 
Think about that. That's a big number. New York has had the same problem. Over the last three years, not including this year, 2020, we have no numbers for 2020, but over the last previous three years, New York has had a negative net domestic migration of about averaging 200,000 people per year. So some people are being born and some people are passing away and there's some immigrants coming in, but the people, there are people, once people are living in New York, there's more people leaving the state than are coming in. Now, I don't want you to trust me on these things. I, I'm going to put some reference links in this episode notes so that you can properly fact check me, which I always encourage everyone to do. Okay, but here's the question again. Have these trends been accelerated by the crazy year of the mask? Well, maybe. The, well, consider this. Some of the news of just the last couple of months. Elon Musk has moved construction of his next factory and his personal home to Austin, Texas. He's left Northern California. Oracle, one of the titans of Silicon Valley, just announced that they are moving their headquarters to Austin as well. And to complete the tech trifecta, Austin is now also the home of Hewlett Packard, HP. That's a, that's a lot of net loss to Northern California, right? But this is not just a West Coast, Texas rivalry thing. Three big New York investment firms all announced uh, that they are uh, you know, doing corporate relocations to Florida. Yeah, that, what are the companies? Uh, one, one was Goldman Sachs. One was Elliott Management. Uh, those two I remember off the top of my head. And I think the other one was, uh, it's called Moellis and Company. Uh, they're a smaller firm, but still significant. So geez, folks, big finance and investment companies moving away from Wall Street and getting away from New York? They realize something. Now, it's not the end of New York. It's not another fall of Rome. It's not. But it could be the end of Rome-like objects. Now, let me, let me drop a few more historical bombs on you because human beings, we are incredibly vain. We measure the world and history by what happened in our lifetimes, and we really, really can't. Um, this has happened many times before, many, many times. You know, even here in the U.S., one of the biggest uh, net migrations, great migrations that we had, was a great mi- what they, I mean, they call it the Great Migration, where people from southern rural farmers and former slaves moved into the northern cities after the Civil War. Now, the trend was already in motion for decades prior due to the industrialization of manufacturing, demand for employees, and efficiencies of production and farming that had been, you know, come, you know, been just incredibly developed during the 1800s, uh, starting with things like the automatic thresher. I think that, came, that was in, uh, uh, I looked it up, 1786 when that was invented, uh, to the innovation of modern fertilizers that began with the work of John Bennett Laws in 1837. And I would argue that these and similar economic disruptions were more than a small factor in the fall of the South. But let's, let's not get that far out in the weeds. You know, it happened again to a lesser extent in the 1950s 
you know, here in the U.S., when highways and other infrastructure improvements gave rise to the suburbs, where homes were more affordable and the quality of life was better than in downtown tenements. What's my point? I, I'm, I've given you all this, and I hope I haven't talked too long, but what I'm hoping you're going to get out of this is two things. Two things. First, whenever you hear someone talk about the Great Reset and how the year of the mask changed everything, I want you to like remember that all this year did was reveal strengths and weaknesses and trends that were already at work. It didn't change something. It revealed it. The second is that when it comes to where you do your business and what real estate markets you invest your money in, and your time, your energy, this, this new great migration is going to affect your decision making. And at least it should. Okay. That's it. Okay. If, if this was in some small way entertaining and informative, please remember to like, share, and subscribe. Um, otherwise, it gets very lonely out here. This episode is brought to you with no commercials by, well, me. Because that's the way we're going to do it for as long as possible. Um, Nigel, what'd you think? Best show ever, boss. You know, Nigel, I think you say that just about every time. That's because you're the boss, right? Ah. See, folks? Economics in action. That's it for now. Cheers. Talk to you next time. Bye.